Welcome, dear listeners, to yet another monthly interview. This time I am joined by Gunilla Jonsson. Welcome. Thank you. For our Swedish listeners, you are a super celebrity. And for our international listeners, maybe you are a celebrity or at least somewhat well-known. Somewhat known by some people somewhere. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. We shall see. Could you just give us a short presentation of yourself as an RPG player, writer, and also novelist and stuff like that? I am probably best known for working with the role-playing games Mutant and Cult, both Swedish role-playing games. The original versions. The original versions, yes. Mutant from 1983 and Cult from... 1991 or was it 93 91 I think it was 91 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so so you have, you've actually uh, uh, created or co-created uh, two of the most massive Swedish uh, RPG hits yes but cult was rather a massive game but mutant in 1983 was like most games those days uh, quite small, slim, and yeah, and then it got bigger. It got uh, like expansions and stuff like that. Yes, and grew bigger and, and bigger. it mutated and grew into new areas. And great pun, I love it. And uh, of course, the game that we are playing right now with our big campaign, Forbidden Lands, is based on the Mutant Year Zero engine. So of course, uh, we wouldn't have played the game that we play in our podcast if you hadn't created the original Mutant game, which uh, Thomas Herrenstam was a huge fan of. Yeah, but the rules Thomas used for Mutant Year Zero has basically nothing to do with no, the original game. Absolutely. So it really transformed over the years to yes. something new and awesome. So, and wh- what was your first contact with role-playing games? As with most people, I think it was Dungeons & Dragons in the 1981, I think, in the Tolkien Society of my small hometown, Södertälje in Sweden. So someone someone brought a game, one of those early versions, and like, you should try this out. Yes, I think we played Keep of the Borderlands early on, and Sinister Secret of Salt March, and some homegrown, what would now be called uh, old school gaming dungeons. Yeah. With silly monsters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds wonderful. And then you also got into writing novels. Yes. How how early did that come to? Much later, really now, the last years of... Okay. So I written novel, uh, written short stories and shorter pieces earlier, but I wrote a novel based on the role-playing game Cult together with my husband, Mike, uh, two years ago. Okay. That is only the beginning, it's called, which was the sort of tagline for the yeah. game at the time. Yeah. And it was also the tagline back in the 90s, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. As you yourself said, uh, mostly known for the mutant and cult games. Uh, could you tell us a bit more? Could we? May I dig a bit deeper into that? Like, how, how did you... how? How come you created the Mutant game in the first place? We were asked by Fredrik Malmberg, who owned the Target Games company in Sweden, 
and had published a game called Drakar och Demoner, the Swedish Dungeons and Dragons yes. equivalence, but based on the basic role-playing yes. rules from Chaosium. And those of you, the listeners who have listened to our previous interviews will know all about Drakar and Demoner by now. <laughs> yeah, so he said, well, we want something new and we checked this game Gamma World out. That was the post-apo version of Dungeons and Dragons from TSR. And maybe we could make something Swedish like that. And uh, actually, I had played uh, Gamma World quite a lot by okay. then. Mm -hmm. We had a Gamma World group and we, we rode around in Hoover cars and shot at things and <laughs> in, a, awesome. <laughs> in a, a post apocalyptic landscape. So me and Mike, my then boyfriend, uh, sat down and figured a bit around this. Could we make this more Swedish? Could we make it something special? And then we came up with this more fable-like approach yeah. to the apocalypse, not the close to the apocalypse uh, approach, but yeah. a lot of years have passed yeah. and a new society Starting to form. Is starting to form with mutated animals and robots and a bit more fairy tale, fairy tale yeah. take on it. Because many of the role-playing players in Sweden at that time were like teenagers, even in the early even teens. Even earlier, many were 9, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Drakar the Moner was a kiddie game. Yeah. More than Dungeons and Dragons. So... Mutant was uh, aimed for a young audience. Yeah. So you, you couldn't go like towards the Mad Max direction, but more like you said, into fables and, and mutated animals. Yes. And, yeah. and this, uh, everybody by then, by 1983, had this nuclear threat hanging over them yeah. that was very present in everyday life for school kids as well. And uh, it felt a bit new to take it a step further away from the we fight over dog food and yeah. Yeah. water bottles and yeah. into building something new from the ruins. Okay, so, so that's how you you got the you got the the job from from or Fredrik asked you to to create this game. You created it. It was released and. Uh, it was quite well received, if I'm not ill-informed. Yes, I mean, this was when... Uh, these years were when uh, role-playing games grew in Sweden. Yeah. So most games did well. They or A bit later, they translated the Star Wars game, for instance, yeah. and uh, the Lord of the Rings game, yeah, and everything uh, sold pretty well. Yeah. And Mutant did as well, and... Mutant were the the target games owned the Mutant game. Yeah. So the they made more money out of it than by the licensed games. And yeah, therefore they could, just as with Drakar and Demoner, they could evolve it into something more complex without having to have the constant contact with an American yeah, publisher. Yeah, of course. And after you created the original game, uh, I know I'm 
I think that Anders Blixt made the, the Mutant 2, Mutant yeah. 2. And then there was a lot of other versions during the late 80s. Mutant uh, Rymd, Space yes, Mutant and Mutant I was Chronicles. involved in Did you? mostly Mutant 2089, I think it's Okay, called. that one, it, That's yeah. the cyberpunk version. Okay. I work at a science fiction bookstore and mainly for all... Most of my life I've been a science fiction fan. Mm. And it came naturally to, after having read William Gibson mm. and Bruce Sterling, to adopt a cyberpunk attitude okay. to this post-apocalyptic. So that, that version you had a finger in as well? Yeah. Yes. Or did you create not, it? No, I didn't, I didn't create the rules, I, but I made a... A lot of uh, campaigns and background books. And settings. And, and, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Did you do the rules for the original Mutant or was it only and, setting? Or No, we based it on the, the basic role-playing yeah. rules. Mm. We modified for... Okay, okay, yeah, of course, yeah. And then in the 90s you created Cult. Cult, cult yeah. Cult, yeah. Uh, that it was... Uh, translated into English in the 90s as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was translated into quite a few languages. English, yeah. Spanish, French, German. Yeah, and and, and uh, if I if I have read, I read somewhere, I think I remember reading somewhere that, uh, again, Fredrik came to you and said, we need a more, like, ad- for a more adult audience. Yeah, the kids are growing up. Yeah, so and we need the, something a bit we more. We see the edgy. computer games coming at us yeah. from the horizon, yeah. threatening. <laughs> so we need to come up with something that will appeal to teenagers. Yeah. So we thought, well, what do teenagers like? And it, it, they wanted something horror-like yeah. in some way, something dark and gritty. So mm. we brainstormed about what do teenagers like and mm. came up with this sort of death rock occult mm. partly satanist concept yeah. that we felt it felt early 90s it had some kind of zeitgeist feel yeah right then yeah and it was a smashing hit in sweden right from the start yes a lot of people felt that this Dark, we are the dark gods. Yeah, uh, dropped in a big illusion, our prison by a dead god. Yeah, uh, yeah. talked to a lot of people. For me, who came into uh, role playing scene in '94, yeah, uh, I, I clearly remember that like everyone was like, like oh, cult, that's the shit. I mean, of <laughs> course, Dark in the Morning, that's fun. We're going to play these uh, Erik Ronström adventures. They're great. But you've got to play cult. It's it's something else. It's really... It was the same year as when Mark Reinhagen released Vampire, mm. The Masquerade. So um, both are games of sl- slightly personal horror. Yeah. And they lend themselves quite well for LARPing. Yeah. And the LARP mm. scene took off in Sweden then. Yes, it did really. In the bit. early 90s. Yeah. And role-playing games became a lot less old-school gaming and, yeah. and more we tried to express ourselves. Yeah. 
exactly. and play with feelings and ideas. And yeah, and delving deeper into the darkness as the characters evolve and, and you know... Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and well, if you're 16 years old, years old, you have other things you want to talk about Yeah. than if you're nine. Of course, of course. And um, so you wrote, did you, you wrote the Black Madonna as well? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. was the huge main campaign. Yeah, it was like a major, main campaign. It's, it was a pulp the camp campaign. Me and Michael wrote it together and it was partly evolved out of an earlier game self-published called uh, Shadow Masters, which was kind of a spy espionage game. Mm. So it was a bit more pulpy and and uh, espionage yeah. based than the later cult products. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and um, and then the uh, the uh, the moral panic hit Sweden like a sledgehammer. Oh, yes. oh my god, <laughs> oh, these role-playing games are turning all our kids into Satanists. And <laughs> yeah, we had lived through this video violence, violence panic earlier. That was In the almost 80s. exactly 10 years earlier. So yeah. we'd seen it before, mm. but it's sort of, you, you don't really understand it until it hits you yeah. <laughs> straight in the face. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> And how does that affect you as a writer? Like when you, because you were, had you released most of the material when the when the panic broke out, or did were you still working on some stuff for cult? We were working on stuff for cult. Yeah, when, I think it's hit us. We had written the main game and uh, Black Madonna, maybe the starting convention adventure where mm. you are the poor riders of the apocalypse. Mm. But the rest came later on, and I think we we understood even then that this is mostly a religious minority, yeah. the yeah. the word of God uh, mm. sect trying to establish themselves in Sweden, looking for something to slash out, yeah. slash out, slash out yeah. and, and we were there. Conveniently to be <laughs> lashed out. Yeah. But did, did, does it affect you as a writer? Do you get? Do you feel restrained? Do you feel like okay, maybe we should tone it down, or do you feel like no, screw them. We're gonna do what we love, and we're gonna do what we want to do. Or, I mean, I don't really. It's, it's. I I don't really remember. I think it's a bit of both. I I got really upset when my mother got uh, sort of upset about it all but it never occurred to me to tune it down actually yeah that that didn't feel like an answer to anything no. because they they'd only hit us they already hit us with all, everything they got right <laughs> so it couldn't get much much worse i see yeah <laughs> i think we had somehow that feeling well what more can they do? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They can't prosecute us. They can't. No, you know, I, mean, I mean, we've yeah. we've done nothing wrong, and yeah. so we just uh, carried on. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. And um, okay, so and then um, 
Uh, now cult has uh, re-emerged. It has yeah. evolved into cult divinity lost. Yes. Uh, have you been involved in that at all, or have they only contacted you as looks like cons- consultation or more like consultation? We we read everything in the background that Petanalo, who wrote the the background parts, wrote and mm. talked to him about. Well, we thought about it this way and. Mm. Maybe if you turn it like this, it yeah. will make more sense like that. But we didn't write anything for it. Okay, I see. It just so happens that uh, around the time that this interview will release, uh, we will record a one-shot, Cult Divinity Lost, with Matthias Fredriksson from Red Moon Roleplaying as yeah. a guest GM for us. So it's going to be a lot of fun to try and to try that game out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll I'll GM myself, Matthias and his friends in the You Are the Fall Riders of the Apocalypse yeah. scenario that mm. started up the short scenario for cult I see. series I see. back in the day. Okay, cool. Moving on. Uh, you mentioned you work at the uh, uh, science fiction bookstore in Old Town in, in Stockholm. I do. Which is the uh, the biggest bookstore, I guess. It's a chain now in, in Malmö. And we Col- have Finne- three uh, stores, Malmö, Gothenburg. Gothenburg and Stockholm. Yes, we've grown quite a lot since 90. I started working there the same year we released Cult, actually, mm-hmm. 1991. Yeah, which should be... I don't think I've been it, a few years later that I made my first visit and and a Tolkien a new newly uh, become Tolkien fan. I went into the Tolkien corner and I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to spend all my money for the for the coming few years. And but it must be the biggest uh, bookstore for science fiction and fantasy in Sweden. Oh yes, it is by far. I, by I guess. far, by far, yes. Uh, outside Forbidden Planet in. Uh, Great Britain, I think, we're the biggest sci-fi stores in Europe. In Europe, even. I see. Yeah, yeah. at least. Okay, so the next question here, we've I feel like we've almost done that. Uh, which games and supplements in English have you been involved with? Uh, of course, as we said, uh, Cult was translated into English and maybe not the mutant versions that you were involved no. in, but other mutant versions yeah. were translated into English. Yes. Uh, so, are there any, have I missed anything? No, not in English, really. Not in English, no. no. And the novels, have they been translated? Yes, the first one will be released in English this autumn. Did you hear that, listeners? That is only the beginning, and we're halfway through the second one, okay. which will be called uh, The Living Dead. Okay, so all of you cult fans listening here, check out the uh, upcoming novel in, in English by Gnilla Jonsson and Mikael Petersen. If I've interpreted you right correctly, um, you are mostly into writing settings, not so much into writing rule systems. Yes, mostly. Um, cult was obviously a rule system and the setting and the mood of the game yeah. were imperative for the rules for mm. the mental balance sanity system mm. and which was very of important for yeah. the original game yeah so when you when you first uh, 
when you get a, a, a commission to write a setting for a role playing game, what's what's the first thing you do? What can you describe your your process, like your work process? How do you develop a, a setting for an RPG game? Well, you you have to sort of filter it down to something with some clarity. You, I really prefer to work, at least partly in the real world. Cult okay. is set in the real world. And we also made a self-published historical game called Angard set in Mm. the 18th century. And Mutant is set in Sweden, but a very different Sweden. Yeah, of course. In the far future. So you have to sort of change this real world setting into something you can use in a role-playing game streamline it what is the idea what kind of characters can you use in this setting and how can you still open it up to a bigger world to the real world to let in more aspects to make it bigger if you want to Mm. so that's my process i i understand that people working in in epic fantasy they work differently because they try to make a sandbox from the beginning, from bottom up, based on other science, other fantasy sandboxes, which the players have a knowledge of, and they have kind of an idea of Mm. how things will work. But since I've mostly worked in real-world affinity settings, I think it's a bit of a different approach. Okay, so you you try to streamline like okay, what kind of adventures are there supposed to be here, and what kind of characters are the players uh, supposed to be playing? Yes, and what or... kind of questions do you ask? Like in cult, cult is a partly religious game with partly philosophical questions, like what is it to be a human? What can you do as a human? What can you not do? Uh, what is your role in the world, in the universe, towards mm. other people, to our, towards other beings who are not human? And those kind of questions defines the setting and the rules as well. Mm. So I think it's important to think as well, what, what kind of questions, even if you just play for fun, all games have questions. One of my yeah. favorites, Pendragon, for instance, mm-hmm. which I GM'd for quite a long time, the Boy King campaign, yeah. has these questions about old and new, yeah. about uh, hierarchies in society, about God and man. Mm. And you have to define those parts to know what characters can you have, what stories can you have, and mm. what places will, what scenes will these stories play out on, mm. I think. Okay, I see. So it, it's also along the line of uh, giving possibilities for players to get like character arcs that are a bit more interesting than just looting and gathering XP. Yes. Like, I mean, if you just want to collect <laughs> things, you can play a computer game where yeah. you collect things, and yeah. you collect points, and you feel that, like, oh, I overcame this 
problem and now yeah. no I killed that boss and now I'm this <laughs> I'm a level bit stronger and, and I have the second oh, well mm. in a role playing game you it it's a lot of effort you lay into creating the game creating the story creating the, the characters mm. I think you have to to have something more to make it worthwhile mm. actually yeah absolutely especially absolutely. if you're not 12 years old anymore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, when, when it comes to, to to inspirations both literature and RPGs what what are your inspirations where do you take inspiration from I'm a science fiction fan, so I read a lot of science fiction. And I've read a lot of science fiction since the 70s and through to now. So I think I've had this arc of science fiction novels back from the 70s, from, say, Nine Princes in Amber by Roger Selesny, was somehow an inspiration for cult. Mm. Not very obvious but I think it was and then came the cyberpunk and the modern British space opera and more recent ideas about artificial intelligence transhumanism what is possible in a human perspective what is impossible a game like Eclipse Space for instance handles this in a nice way Mm. So I think much of my inspiration comes from there. Mm. And, well, also the fantasy part. As I mentioned, I I really like playing Pendragon. I was at a time a Tolkien fan. So this a bit more old mm. school uh, fantasy settings, Lord Dunsany, Mark mm. Arthur, <laughs> <laughs> everything after... <laughs> 1914 is bad. And out of all of these um, RPG games that you've been involved in creating, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite child? (laughs) Yes, my favorite child is Cult because we we spent a lot of time doing it, and it's it's a very personal game. Mm. I see. I'm not surprised. No. <laughs> it's a very good game. <laughs> Actual play podcasts. Uh, do you do you listen to any? I've listened to the Red Moon Gaming because they played cult. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> played Black Mirror. Otherwise, I just listened to and watched uh, separate episodes from yeah. different podcasts and mm. YouTube streams to to keep get, up with to uh, keep up with yeah. what people. Stay ajour. Stay ajour, but I don't follow anything. No, I see. Uh, what 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 is what is your view of the the whole? Because it's become a whole phenomenon. Uh, Critical Role now they have yeah. a Kickstarter out which has uh, reached over eight point eight million dollars yeah. for to make an animated series out of there. I mean, it's a it's a huge business it's now, huge. and it's uh, and the 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 uh, the, uh, the the entire phenomenon has grown into something. That I don't think anyone would have expected. No, like I, I don't ago. think the recent role-playing game boom would be possible without the streaming critical role phenomenon. People I play with who who aren't involved in much of a role-playing community otherwise, they watch these streams, they listen to these pods and they get new ideas. And 
rock players are often seclusive people. We don't always like other people that much. New people <laughs> know. I've had the same gaming group for 35 years. That's nice. Oh, really? So uh, this gives an eye, a window into other people's thoughts, ideas, yeah. input from other people. And you don't have to go to conventions. I mm. go to conventions. I'm not that secluded, but... Yeah. A lot of people don't want to do that. A lot yeah. of people just want to play with their friends mm. and still get new ideas. I think it's wonderful. And a lot of people my age uh, who have like small kids and they're into the whole that part yeah. of their lives, they don't have time to play themselves. I know my podcasts have many listeners who have small kids and they're like, yeah, yeah I used to play back in the 80s and 90s, but then I got a family and now I don't have time to play. Uh, but I found your podcast and it really brings me back to my, like yeah. this. Uh... And if you meet your old friends in summer, you have a week together or something and you watch the same critical role or you listen to the same podcast, then you got some ground that makes it possible for you to start playing again. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to start from scratch and exactly. finding out that you don't know each other mm. anymore and that yeah. you... Yeah, don't absolutely. know what to do. So I, I find it's... it very good also to to get to know uh, rule, uh, new rule systems. Yes. Uh, because, um, as I said, being a, a parent of small kids myself, I don't have much time to dig into these huge tomes of rule books. No, they're so... getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some of them are like, they're so daunting. And I'm just like, okay, can I just find a podcast that plays this game? Yeah. And I can get at least the basics before I even start opening the book. It's And it helped out with, uh, if we move away from role-playing games, board games as well. Yeah. That people, yeah. you don't have to have this geeky person who reads the rules so everybody else can play. Everybody can yeah. look at the podcast. Yeah. Speaking of tomes and some of the, the board games, the, yeah. the rule books are like, they're so yeah. thick now. And you're like, okay. Yeah, exactly. The, the streams are very good at that as well. Um, when you're writing, do you have any special rituals? Do you always use the same pen? Always a fresh cup of coffee? Do you sit at the same place? Or do you write with the same font on a computer? Or do you like, do you have any rituals? It's very different things, writing role-playing game materials and writing novels. Mm. When I write novels with my husband, we write by longhand mm. and we talk a lot mm. and we read the dialogue aloud to each other and we walk a lot mm. to get ideas, to talk about things. And then we find it very good to be a bit secluded from other people mm. and the novels we're, we're writing now they take place in Berlin mm. just like the Black Madonna mm. campaign for cult back in the day and it's a good thing that people don't understand what we say when we're out in the streets oh, so we I can see. talk about anything and Mm. Well, a lot of people in Berlin understand Swedish, but we don't have to know that. So no. we can, talk. <laughs> can pretend. We no. can pretend that they don't <laughs> understand it. In the same way, when we write role-playing game material, right, right now we're writing a Call of Cthulhu campaign for mm -hmm. the Swedish Call of Cthulhu version, then we found it's quite... Uh, 
rewarding to sit in a hotel bar very anonymously. Okay. Take a beer yeah. and uh, brainstorm. Yeah. And we're surrounded by tourists, basically. It's just 200 meters from our home, but we're surrounded by French tourists. We're having a beer. Yeah. The French tourists, they don't understand what yeah. we're saying. <laughs> and that works quite well for us. But we talk all the time when we work. I think it's different if you you write by yourself. Then, you, yeah. of course, you don't have to mind the audience, as yeah. you speak. But if you're two people and you're going to talk about tearing people apart and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boiling their heads and yeah. such... <laughs> and it's a good thing if you don't have to sit yeah. at home, but you can feel that I can say anything. Yeah. People don't mind. I see. Yeah. Uh, which brings me into uh, right into the next question, actually, which is about um, cooperative writing, which yeah. you do with, with Michael, which is uh, how, how does that... I mean, you've described much of it already. You talk and you walk and you... Uh, write uh, in longhand and you you go over all the dialogue and you read it out loud and stuff like that because I was going to ask you like how does that how does that work like writing is such um, a personal thing and such a um, it, it's a form of artistry that it's very I mean uh, it's, it's fascinating fascinating for me to to hear uh, your thoughts on how to co-create something uh, literary. Yes, uh, co-creating in a role-playing game is easier. I yeah. mean, most people <clears throat> co-create when they do. Ro- few role-playing games are written by one person. Yeah, person. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So then you just brainstorm and you mm. try to build this world mm. together, and you compromise, and you hope your mm. compromises will make it better. Do you split it up like you do that part and I'll do this part or do you do everything uh, together? We split parts when we do role playing games yeah. because it's more efficient. Yeah. But when we write novels, we write them together all the time. Mm. We write by longhand and we read aloud for each other mm. and we talk it through all the time. Would he do this? Mm. Can he do this? What kind of thre- plot thread do we need to mm. intertwine with this one? What kind of, of scene do we need? What what place do we need here? Mm. We talk about it all the time. I think a novel has so many more layers mm. than a role-playing game. And you have to get them exact. Mm. Otherwise mm. people won't be able to read the novel. A role-playing game is a sprawling thing. As yeah. you say, they get bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can think about a lot of angles and then you can put them into different uh, chapters or yeah. parts of the game of course, yeah. and put it together like, like a little castle or something. Yeah. The novel is something... Like an I- Ikea furniture. <laughs> yeah, like an Ikea furniture. But nobody's supposed to read it from start to end. No. But the novel, you have to get it streamlined and yeah. you have to not lose your yeah. reader, not lose so your do attention. Do you both, like, do you, does everything evolve from, from your dialogue with each other? Or do you like, okay, we'll, we'll sit down at a table now, we'll, the scene that we've been discussing... You're going to put it down and I'm going to put another scene down or 
you both write the same scene at the same time and then we, we write one scene at a time we, yeah. we work from a to z yeah because i suppose people can write novels otherwise but yeah. we, we tend to break them down into chapters and each chapter should be a little story mm. and when you put the all the chapters together they should be a big story, big story <laughs> and you should be able to read it from a to z and, and yeah. understand it and not get lost yeah on the way and i think that process it, it's a bit like game mastering actually mm. you have to tag everybody along if they start to look bored you have to do something you have to get everybody interested uh, mm. So it's a bit like game mastering, but with an imaginary yeah. player group. <laughs> and what is that like when the product is finished and you release the the, the story that you've been creating for so long, and then uh, anticipate the anticipation of how it will be received by the readers? And I don't think I, I I've never had that much of an anticipation for things. I I love writing, and I okay. I love telling stories and I love mm. game mastering because I can see the reaction yeah, in yeah. the players faces when we play but done is done okay w- when the story is written or the game is released it's it's like a bottle with a, a letter in it you throw it into the sea okay. and someone will pick it up and oh. make of it what they want I see and especially role playing games because like mutant it's taken a lot and lot and lot of turns people have made so many th- strange things with it yeah. <laughs> so, and now uh, it's a computer game as well I, yeah like that so <laughs> it's more like yes like like a letter in a bottle yeah yeah and also uh, you could also compare it to an avalanche you throw this pebble down the hill which was the first muted game, and now it's a huge yeah. avalanche swallowing the... You yeah. know, William Burroughs, the writer, he called his books his assassins. He was the old man of the mountains, oh. and his books, they were his assassins. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've uh, we've talked a bit about, I was going to ask you about what you're writing on at the moment. You told us that... Uh, you're working on a second book for for the cult universe. Yes, it's it's a direct uh, sequel to the first one, uh, also set in Berlin, but mm-hmm. with a slightly different cast and a slightly different tone. Mm-hmm. And and do you do you, do you have any sort of uh, like one year, two years from now, half a year? When We're going to release it. It's going to be released in Swedish uh, this fall. Okay. Autumn, before Christmas, mm. sometime, and mm. hopefully in English next year, mm. sometime. I see, I see. And I also know you just mentioned it very, very briefly, but I know that you are also working on a campaign for the Call of Cthulhu uh, translation, the Swedish translation of the 7th uh, edition of yes, Call of Cthulhu? Yes, it's the 7th edition. Uh, we're working on a campaign set in Stockholm, Sweden, and well, then it moves a bit away from yeah. Swedish territory. So yeah. It's one of those you travel along. and Yeah. So that's what you're working on RPG-wise yes. at the moment. Yes, that is. Yeah. 
Uh, anything else that we haven't touched on yet? No, I don't know if it is. Maybe we'll, we also talked about making some kind of background book for the new cult game okay. set in Berlin. Mm. But we didn't have time for it this year, so mm. it'll be for... For later, maybe. Later, maybe. Okay. And since I'm, I, I, can, I cannot pass on this opportunity to sit here with such an um, horror author expert as yourself and, and not ask, because when I try to do horror as a GM, um, I either often go towards something very gore-ish, you know, yeah. like splatter yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Nothing which wrong as, with that. Which, which as, for me, it's not, it's not that... It doesn't really create that sense of, of horror. It's more it's more goreish and or it either that or it turns towards the very silly because I I like silliness. I'm a huge yeah. Monty Python fan and I'm I, I I love things being silly. So horror can also turn towards being silly. How 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 do you do it so well? How do you get to the, the, the... I don't think you should be afraid of either splatter or silliness. I mean, most many very good horror movies are splattery and silly. Mm. Many very nasty horror movies are splattery and silly. <laughs> so you just have to add to that something very personal. And yeah. I think when we start, when I started making horror in role playing games, when mm. we started making cult basically, then I think I and everybody else was a bit insensitive. To, towards other players, not mm -hmm. asking, is this sensitive for you? Ah, is your mm. mother being torn to pieces maybe a bit upsetting for you? Upsetting <laughs> for you. <laughs> Just rolled over and yeah. thought, well, everybody could take everything. Yeah. And that, of course, was maybe not a very good attitude. Yeah. So nowadays we have a more, we ask each other beforehand. Yeah. Where don't we go? Where won't we go? So I think the best thing is a lot of asking about where won't we go and then go to all the places we can go yeah. and try to explore the darkness which is common for us in the group so we don't get this someone have a fantasy that is very upsetting for somebody else. We don't get this mm -hmm. hierarchy in the group yeah. Where someone takes over and let his or her fantasy play out on the other players. It's, yeah. That's a very easy problem with horror in role-playing games. Okay. And I think, I think good preparation and knowing your players, then you can avoid that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for those tips. We are closing up towards the end here. We have some... Uh, some short uh, flash questions, <laughs> uh, which I ask all of the uh, interview victims that I've been talking to so far. Um, what is your favorite RPG not written by yourself? Pendragon. Pendragon. Mm, excellent choice. And I, this next one, I think you've already answered, but do you have a preference in genre? Fantasy, sci-fi, horror, steampunk, etc.? Sci-fi and... Partly horror. I, I like yeah. horror, but I'm actually I'm more into body horror in movies mm. than reading horror. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, music while role playing, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Any uh, favorites? Any? No? no, it differs from the game. From the I game, mean. yeah. yeah. Uh, snacks during sessions, yes or no? Not too much. Some snacks. Some snacks. Yes. Do you have a favorite there? No, we usually eat sandwiches. Sandwiches. Yes. Okay. Hmm? Alcohol during sessions, yes or no? Not too much, especially not if you're game mastering. <laughs> no okay. more than two. Use beers. with caution, use with caution. Okay. GM or PC? Both. Uh, GMing is very time consuming. Mm. You have to prepare a lot and it takes a big chunk out of your life. Mm. So you can't. I can't do it all the time. Mm. And besides, you need that other perspective as a player, mm. I think, to be a good GM. Yeah. You need to look at it from the other side of the table. Mm. Absolutely. I, I totally half agree. Of the time. Yeah. And you mentioned your, your gaming group. It's been going on for 35 years. Do you... Uh, it's 30. Do you do you rotate being GM there yeah, and you rotate do. systems as well? Yeah, right now we're playing RuneQuest, the mm. new version. Uh, actually, it's it's a story leading up to the start of the new version in Glorenta. Okay. So it's the okay. Dragon's Rising part of. Mm-hmm. Exciting! Exciting. Well, I guess that's about it. I want to thank you so very, very much, Gunilla, for taking the time to talk to me and talk, telling our listeners all about your your vast experience and your your history as a uh, titan among game <laughs> creators in Sweden. Thank you for having a nice chat. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, dear listeners, for listening to this monthly interview from Sweden Rolls. Goodbye. And farewell.